morning, everybody. If you're new to uh, Willow Park Church, my name is Phil. I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and we're delighted that you have joined us this morning. And we're excited about all that God is doing and the way that God is working. If I seem a little tired or a little bit um, wired, it's because I had 200 church members come through our house over two days. Uh, you were all invited, and if you missed it, I'm sorry. 60th is coming. So we had a great time, and it was a real blessing. And uh, we enjoyed that so much, connecting with people and the incredible bakes that were delivered were amazing. So if I seem, ah, you know why. Uh, we're going to continue our series in change. And if you're new here, we've been preaching this season about the power of the gospel to bring lasting and very real change into our lives. And last week, Pastor Glenn, if you didn't hear his sermon, listen to his sermon, Outstanding. Proclaiming and encouraging us to realize that even in the most difficult times, God's best can be realized. That even in the times of struggle, in the times of difficulty, um, we can stand there and say, you know, you love me, you care for me, <clears throat> and I want to see God's best right there within my life, making a difference. And you, your best is for me right now. Powerful word. A word we have to trust Christ through the difficult times. A word. And even this week I've woken up and when I felt or thought something, I've reminded myself again, Lord, I, I'm going to trust you. This is your best. I want to reach out to you. I'm going to know you in this time of challenge, of difficulty. It is a mystery and yet it is immense that Christ can be with us. But what I want to move on to do is talk about the power of change. Why? Because if we were thinking about um, that sense of uh, being connected to God in our lives and knowing that, 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 that powerful vertical connection with God, today's message is about that horizontal, that actually the truth is the real way that we change is through each other. And actually, in the body of Christ, we need each other to really change and experience God's transformation. And the Lord teaches this, and I'm going to be explaining this over the next few minutes. But let's start with this reality. The reality is, is that we will all grow together. We learn to grow together in life. And when we learn to grow together, we actually realize that there is no way that we can live this Christian walk on our own. In fact, Christ demands it of us that we should live our Christian walk with each other. We need each other to really change. Now, this is hard. Let me give you some cultural context to this. In, in our society, in the Western world, we no longer value as we did as much community. We create the idea of our own individualistic, selfish approach to life. Films are, are, are written about this and thought about it in, in the film with Hugh Grant about a boy, uh, which is a story about a, a young man who is self-absorbed, who is selfish, who is shallow, who is living his life. And Hugh Grant plays this role brilliantly. And because and, maybe he is. And... 
and, and, and talks about the whole battle that, that goes on, that actually, no, I don't want to be deep. I don't want to be profound. I don't need people around me because when people are around me, they create trouble. And actually, the beginning of the film, I, it starts off with this uh, well-known quote, which kind of catches the whole generation. He says, in my opinion, as the music started, all men are islands. And what's more, now is the time to be one. This is an island age. 100 years ago, for instance, you had to depend upon other people. Whereas now, you see, you can make yourself a little island paradise. Is that true? Kelowna is full of little island paradises. And we'll carry on. With the right supplies, and more importantly, the right attitude, you can be sun-drenched, tropical, a magnet for young Swedish tourists. I have no idea what that means. The sand... Uh, The sad fact is, like any island dweller, from time to time, I had to visit the mainland. See, what the gospel actually teaches is this, is that God does not call his people, his church, to be island dwellers. We need each other. We live on the mainland. We live with each other. We live in community. God has called us to be that. And yet our whole society pushes us towards becoming island dwellers because relationships are costly. And the beautiful thing is, is that we have forgotten the magnificence of what I like to call redemptive relationships or redemptive friendships. Redemptive friendships are those friendships that are with us through the difficult times where we come together, we learn to pray together, we learn to grow together. They are the beautiful thing, gifts of God that God has given in his body. Redemptive friendships that when each one of us travels through the darkest times, we know that there is community, that there are groups of people that love us and care for us. And God designed it that way. You know, I've I've been through dark times. I've been through challenging times. And I've experienced again and again the power of friendship and fellowship and relationship that is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't just mean empathy. I don't even just mean a kind of camaraderie. I mean men and women who love Christ and who minister God's presence, God's love, God's word into my life and are willing just to be with me and pray for me. And every one of us needs that. Maybe my mid-twenties. had a dear friend and it was a very dark time. And I definitely had lost the compass and direction. And wondering what God was about. This did not feel like God's best. This did not feel like God's best at all. In fact, it felt like God had disappeared with the grief and the pain and the agony. I remember a friend of mine, a young evangelist. We were young evangelists. 25 or so, phoned me up and said, come down to my house and have dinner. So I drove down to London, I had dinner at his house. And we sat there and we talked and we shared and his wife cooked an amazing meal and, and we talked about ministry and, and, and life and, and we wept together, we prayed together. And, and I remember that moment when he reached across and grabbed my hand, which was a little uncomfortable but well needed. And as he grabbed my hand, he said, you know, I want you to know that I'm for you, 
that I love you, and that whatever we can do and anything you need, we are here for you. Wow. He said, you can have anything. You know anything. You can take anything away. You can have anything. I know what he was meaning. It, it was powerful. And, and I left that house feeling redeemed in the power of friendship. I also left it with his TV. And... That's a joke. If you're new to Willow Park, you know that I like to pop those in. Um, but I, I left with that deep sense of, ah, oh, you know, there's redemption in that friendship. There is togetherness in that friendship. There is that relationship in that friendship that makes all the difference. Why? Let me tell you some things about Christian relationships. First of all, they are hard work. Secondly, you need to learn to be humble in them. Thirdly, you need to realize that it's about sacrifice and it's about learning to become selflessness, be letting go of your ego, of yourself. And and being able to step into a biblical Christian relationship that reflects these four amazing things. It is hard work. The text comes at night. Your friend is in crisis. You need to pray. And you say, I will pray, but will you pray? It means going the extra mile. It means taking a deeper interest. It means humility, that this isn't about me being the rescuer, the man of God for the power of the hour. I'll sort you out, you know. I've got the word. If you'd just spoken to me in the beginning, it would have been fine. Now it's not about you. It's about humility because real lasting change only happens when that person helping the other person in a redemptive relationship is utterly committed to bringing Jesus Christ into the depths of that problem. Because only Jesus will make the difference. Only Jesus' presence in community makes that difference. Another cultural observation, that in North America and Europe, we're so used to writing our own scripts for our own lives, that, whew, Allow God's scripts to come into our lives and to start to meddle with us seems unthinkable. But let me tell you something. God's script is the best script for your life. And when we're looking at our lives, we need to bring God's script and God's presence and God's power into our lives. And we know that that is difficult at times because for some of us, we have walked the road of Passion Week. We have walked from the point of betrayal all the way through to the, to the cross. We know what it is to be broken. We know what it is to feel the pain. We know what it is. And the one thing Christ wanted in that time was just a bunch of friends that would stay awake and pray for him. And sometimes we've all been there. But the beauty is, he has been there for you. We have to go back to the beginning. Right there in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the birth of humanity, we know that it was relationship that was affected at that moment because sin pollutes relationships. First of all, he turned and blamed the woman. Relationship problems right there needed a counsellor. It was a problem. But from that point in our history, 
We have continued to have to run from relationships. In that point, we have continued to find relationships difficult. At that point, <coughs> we understand that relationships, boy, we have a love-hate relation, uh, approach to relationships. Sometimes we love them, we need them. Oh, I need that. And other times, I'm not going to let another person close to me. I am going to, I have no way ever again am I going to do that. This is the point I want to make. The fellowship with other believers is an important ingredient in your transformation. We need that. We need that. Our fellowship is an essential ingredient for lasting change in our lives. And although in church life we can see that, it is important that we embrace it. What is the worst? I hate this comment. It's this comment. I don't know if you've ever heard it said, you've made your bed, now lie in it. Have you ever had that? Okay, you've made your bed, now lie in it. I I don't like this comment. Because this comment, how many of you have ever heard that said to you? Yeah, okay. A lot of you need freedom from it. This is the most unbiblical, ungospel, unhelpful comment anybody could make. Why is that? You've made your bed, now lie in it. Now, how many of you have said it? Don't put your hands up. There's time for repentance at the end. Why is this so difficult? Well, first of all, what this statement says is, you're on your own, so deal with it. Is that gospel? No. You are never on your own. It says you are stuck in a situation and you are helpless and you can't do anything about it. So just suck it up and get on with it. Is that gospel? No. Because if that was gospel, then humanity would be condemned. But gospel is always redemptive. And the power of relationships with others is that we are looking for the redemptive nature of relationships. That we don't get to that point where we go, there's no hope, you're alone. Why is this? Because actually, let me remind you something. When you were born again and you became a Christian, and you may not be a Christian here this morning, but when you become a Christian, you enter the greatest family on this planet, the church of God. Church is beautiful. Church and Christians are magnificent. God's love for his bride is immense. He is the groom and we are the bride and we need each other. We need to love each other. We need to care for each other. We need to honor each other because the bride is powerful when the bride is united. Now, think about this for a moment. Let's reverse it. How destructive can the bride be? You see, we know the power when church goes wrong. In fact, I meet people and I counsel people and I spend time with people that haven't been in church for a decade because their experience of a toxic, out-of-control church has utterly destroyed them because of heavy-handed leadership, because of a controlling atmosphere, because of unreasonable demands and theological excesses that bring pain into people's lives. 
And you know the damage. They don't walk into church for the next decade. And finally they walk into Willow Park Church. They sit down. And after about 88 months, they decide to come and sit down and chat to you. And pray with you. Because they've decided actually this is a safe place. And what do we realize is this. Is that... Is that, that, that when church becomes toxic and selfish, it becomes deeply wounding to a level that is somehow, somehow beyond just normal relationships. True? That's because the bride is living. That's because the bride is God-breathed. That's because church is, a, is, is God's idea, not man's idea. And that's why we must, we must Enjoy and realize the sense of family together, to change together. And that takes work because when it's right, it is the most beautiful thing in all of humanity. The church that loves Jesus, that has learned to change together in his presence. Why is this so important? Well, because God is community. I make no apology, we are Trinitarians. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is a mystery. The Trinity is a mystery. But yet the beauty of the Trinity is that the Trinity is about about God's community and God's God's presence. And that's really the first point. The first point is that there is community like God himself. Living in community like God himself. God lives in community. God is present. He is there. And that's when self-centered attitudes can, can destroy community. Bible. Look at Ephesians. We'll go straight to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. Fabulous scripture to meditate on this week. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient and bearing with one another in love. That last few verses, be completely humble, patient, bearing with one another in love, is a kind of mission statement of how we should treat other believers. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that is important because we are truly unified. You see, disunity is a problem, but actually unity is God's gift to the body. Let me explain this. We are unified, by the way, because we're in the body of Christ. His redemption, you were born again. We are unified. In fact, there is only one church in Kelowna. We are unified. There is only one. And yet, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace exists, but it is our actions our attitudes, our words that can bring disunity and start to pull a unified body apart. In other words, the unified body is a gift from the Holy Spirit that when you are saved, we are unified. Let me explain this a bit more. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, and when you were called... 
to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's go back. Can you notice that there's a repetitive nature to this writing? And the word is one. In fact, there's seven ones. One, 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 one. Seven ones, you've got the point. I think Paul's trying to tell you something, isn't he? He's trying to tell me something. Grow up and realize there is one body, one spirit. There is one Lord. There is one God. There is one. It's all about oneness. Wow. We are one. As they are one. And that oneness is important. Now I have to apply this now to the cross. Say, okay, how are we one? Well, we are united and we are made one through one event in history. And what was that event? The cross. When he was ripped apart and his body was broken and he experienced and the very nature, and this is a mystery theologically, but it's a beautiful thing and a mystery and we try and get our heads around it and... and And, you know, year one theological students have it all sorted. And by the time you graduate with your master's, you haven't got a clue. And and it's just that mystery that God himself was ripped apart. The Trinity, Jesus, was left abandoned under the, the very presence and the wrath. We sang it this morning in that hymn, that he was ripped to make us one. He was broken to make us one. This goes back to verses in Genesis that talk about a particular covenant where, where animals were ripped in half and God walked amongst them. And we haven't got time for that. But, but it is a particular that, that he's, out of his brokenness came our oneness. Out of his death on the cross came our unity. That out of his sacrifice and the Trinity's God brought unity and oneness, one baptism, one God the Father, one, one, one. Now, why is this so important? For me, it's important because when I shun a believer, when I choose to shun a believer and to treat them as if there is no hope, as if there is no future. When I choose to shun, then what, what the reality is, I feel in my heart that somehow I am dishonoring and working against all that Christ did upon the cross. I can't shun you. I've got to love you. I can't shun you. Why? I'm sure in my flesh, and not this church, I'd like to shun some Christians. You know, put them in the catapult. Send them off. Thank you very much. Thank you. You know, it always worries me when other pastors send people to our church and say, you'll be a lot better at Willow Park. Ah. It worries me. It worries me when I first pastored in England, the local Pentecostal church, which was the larger church in town. The pastor used to send people to, you'll be a lot better with Phil up at the, up at the free event, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> no. And there are feelings of that. But you see, the very nature of the body is that we can't shun people because he has brought unity and oneness 
Now, can I just put a little moment on here? There are moments when people are unsafe. There are people, moments when people are abusive. There are moments when they are portraying actions and words that are so destructive that we really have to step back. And in fact, in Scripture, it does talk about the brother or sister who brings such such a, a difficult and vile spirit into the church that we have to make a stand. But you know, we read that and we think we apply it to everybody. No! You see, the, the death of Christ demands that I work towards peace and unity all the time. See, this is what God hates the most. This image here. Now, for those of you who are over 50, I'm not there yet Thursday. Um, for those of you who are old uh, you know, um, and you're over 50, you remember the first time round of the Lone Ranger. We all loved it, you know. Lone Ranger with Tonto, completely politically incorrect. Uh, but the Disney remake, but you know, the point is this, that God does not like Lone Rangers in his body. We, none of us are called to be lone rangers. He calls us to work together. He calls us to be together. We're not supposed to be elusive and wear a mask and be a lone ranger and run around in the body of Christ. I meet people like that all the time. Well, I'm not really digged in anywhere to any church, connected in, because, you know, yeah, I'm part of the body, but I'm more like the blood. I circulate. And, <laughs> and I, I'm doing that. God doesn't like that, you know. God has designed that there are, there's one shepherd with many sheep pens and we get together and we gather together and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing but we've all got to learn to dig in and know where God is going to use us because Lone Ranger Christianity does not work. Why? Because just me and Jesus is not the Christian religion. Nowhere in scripture, just me and Jesus may surprise you this next statement when I which is talks about that Christianity cannot be done alone. You see, and I like alone. I went off in the wilderness, didn't I, for five days and prayed in a, a cabin and was terrified by mice. And and I liked alone. And, 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 and that was good, but, but God's plan is that we change through not being alone with God, but being with God's people. We need each other. We need each other to grow. Here we go. We can't become the Christian we are meant to be by being alone with God. Shocking statement. But we need each other. You need the alone and you need the together. And it's messy and it's difficult. It's hard. But the truth is this, that you have been adopted into a family. And we're all orphaned, but we are now adopted into a family. And to make this work, yeah, we need four things. We need hope. We need hope to be present at work. We need love. 
We need to learn to worship together. We need to learn to serve together. Start that when you enter into relationships, you know that there is hope, that there is love, that, there is, that you worship together, that you serve together. Isn't there that moment when Lazarus is called from the tomb? Jesus has done the great miracle. The resurrection has happened. He's come back to life after three days. But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't walk over and start to unwrap him. He says, go to him. You go to him and unwrap him now. That's community. Jesus does the miracle, but we've got to learn to unwrap each other of our own grave clothes. That we work together and we learn to be humble. We learn to have hope for each other. We learn to love each other. We learn to worship together. We learn to serve together in our lives. And we understand that that's the way forward. You see, the one thing I realize about my experience with Christian relationships is that they're, first of all, time-consuming. They are messy And they are complicated. Have you experienced that? You know, but you see, this shouldn't scare us when our main objective is to just bring the reality of Jesus to change. And I see it a little bit like like we gather together. You know, I've been, divorce care in our church is amazing. In fact, it's starting on Tuesday. If you know anybody, they should plug in and get plugged in. But I've been to divorce care. I've sat there. I've taught and I've shared. And it's been amazing to be in that environment as a group of people who never expected to be in that position. And they're broken. And they are learning to grow together and find healing in community. It is profound. They're traveling together. It is wonderful. It is so humbling. It reminded me of the day when one of my church members invited me to go to an AA meeting, Alcoholic Anonymous. So I went along, sat down, founded by Bill Wilson, a Christian who saw that the church was not doing its job. And I sat in that meeting. People were surprised because they were actually, there were other church members there. And they were like, hi, Pastor. It's really good that you've made this step. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, but I was humbled. I said I was welcomed in and they had to make, you know, in their process, they had to allow me to come into that meeting for that group. But the stories I heard made me weep. And I came away thinking I have never heard such transparent honesty that brings healing. But I see that in the encounter God, to be honest. I see the relationships And I see the way people pray with each other. I see the connections that can be built. I see the involvement and I see the change that happens. Because our body, it is important. So I'm going to finish on this note. The body of Christ is a means by which we all change. Each other, we learn off each other and we rub off each other. Iron sharpens iron, but friendships can be forged, but it takes time. You don't just turn up as a care group and that's it, and then, and then, well, it didn't work, I leave. You know, it takes between six and ten consistent times to build strong relationships, but they do happen. It takes determination, it takes openness and honesty. 
But I want to just finish off by saying that criticism of the body of Christ is often an indicator in your life where you should be. Now, can I just make a point now that criticism is not a gift of the Holy Spirit? And for some, he gave this gift, and to others, he gave prophecy, and to others, gifts of healings, and to others, he gave the gift of powerful criticism. <laughs> be blessed. Cynicism is not spiritual discernment. Sarcasm is not the best way to build Christian character. But criticism is an indication of what God may be doing in your life. You see, I remember a time when I was a pastoring in England. And we were reaching out to a particular housing area that was very low income. Um, difficulties with young gangs. And um, a gypsy European culture. Very difficult. Very painful. And you know, people, oh, there, was, there was one person that stepped forward and said, you know, the church is rubbish. You know, we're no good. At, we can't even plan. We can't administer. We can't do this. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, the church is, you know, and just, just criticize the church for our lack of an administrative ability. You know, and there was the pastor, ducked. Then another one said, well, do you know, we, we're no good at giving and we're no good at caring for people. We're no good at bringing practical help to people in this and we've tried and it's failed and we're useless and, and, and oh, there's no kindness or action there, no justice. And then another one stepped forward and said, well, you know, evangelism, there's no evangelism. You know, we're useless in evangelism. Now, he couldn't say that about me. Because, you know, I'm all right with evangelism, thank you. But, you know, here they go, everybody else. Pop, pop, pop. Have you ever experienced those kind of conversations? Don't nod. The truth is this, if we're really honest. And this truth is so amazing and so incredible. Hold on to your seats. The reality is this, that the area where you're most critical is probably the area and the gifting God has called you to do. So get on and do it and stop being critical. So the one with the administration, a gifting, who looks at this and says you can't administrate yourself out of a paper bag, if that is even a saying, um, he probably has the gift in Romans 12 of administration and is able to administer. And therefore, rather than criticizing, should bring their gift into the body, should in humility and kindness and love and engage. Because the area where you're most critical about is probably the area, where if you listen to the Spirit, where God has called you to serve. And the person who is critical about us not doing social justice, probably has the gift in Romans 12 of mercy. And so rather than just looking back and just, it's probably a gift, because we have gifts. I, am, I have gifts. Probably the one, the evangelist, 
who criticizes our lack of engagement and outreach in any given congregation, there's only 5% who have the gift of evangelists, they tell me. We are called to do the work of evangelists, but the actual equipping is 5%. But that 5%, when they get switched on and plugged in and stop moaning and get on with the work, they make the difference. So what are you criticizing about the body that should change is probably where you fit in to bring the change. Because you care about that area and you want to make a difference. That means, actually, you need to suspend your criticism and you need to work on change and you need to say, I love the body of Christ because I love Christ and every time I shun, actually... I'm not allowing God's redemptive power to work through me as I serve his body. So where should you be? What role have you got? Where should you plug in? Because by plugging in, you experience incredible change. And believe me, we need people to plug in. But it's got to be with the heart of love and humility and self-control and honoring and blessing. It's never about me. It's always about Christ. So in the last few moments of this gathering, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. And allow him to maybe challenge you to make a difference in the area. And allow him to speak. Some of the most beautiful, we've got amazing people in our church who have actually felt the call to missions and gone on and built something and we applaud it and we support it. Marriage care, they built it and we applaud it and support it. Many areas. The one difficulty I do not have is releasing people to do what God's called them to do. Will you be released? But it will bring change in your character. Because when you start being released, the Holy Spirit is the way of pointing out things. Let's stand together. Next week, Pastor Glenn will be preaching and continuing our series. But Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your presence. And search us in these final moments that we may step in to what we're called to be. I'm reminded that I've been very, just reminded, I guess people would say by the Spirit, I'm just reminded by that sideways thought that just has come into my mind. That for many of us, it's not just about serving the body. I've talked about the body a lot. But actually, our work is our mission. And that it may not be about just plugging in here. You come here to get blessed and worship and bath of a body. But actually, you know that your workplace is your missionary area. And that's beautiful. And we're for that 100%. We don't live a dualistic life 
uh, Monday to Friday is the mission field. And many of you can't plug in in areas of service in the body because you're plugging in in the community to bring transformation. And I bless you for that. I encourage you that the Lord will use you greatly. And that's why we run Marketplace Leaders in our church every Thursday morning. Come Lord, speak to us and guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name.